Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. I'm excited tonight. My guest, Joe Ide, is of Japanese-American descent and grew up in south-central Los Angeles. His favorite books, and so were mine, uh, were the Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories. The idea that a person can face the world and vanquish his enemies with just his intelligence uh, fascinated him. He went on to earn a graduate degree and had several careers before writing his breakout debut novel, IQ, which was inspired by his early experiences and love of Sherlock. IQ won, there's a lot of these, IQ won the Anthony, McCavity, and Seamus Awards and was nominated for an Edgar, the granddaddy, and a Barry, and I think others, and I probably missed some awards that it won as well. Joe lives in Santa Monica, California. High Five, his latest book, is his fourth IQ novel. Welcome, Joe Ide. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Cool. I wanted to have you on for a while, and uh, we finally got it. I finally got it figured out. So um, this is book number four. So tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, your protagonist, Isaiah Quintanabe, and High Five. Um, Isaiah is, is from East Long Beach, um, the hood by anybody's definition. And he basically serves his community. And people pay him with whatever they can pay him which might be a blueberry cobbler or a new set of tires. And um, his, his notoriety has, has, has grown. His reputation has grown. So he's, he's getting more, a more variety of, of clients. In High Five, uh, the premise is this. Isaiah's, Isaiah's client is a young woman named Christiana. And she... She witnessed a murder, but the police think she did it. And Isaiah is, is supposed to find evidence to exonerate her. The problem is uh, Christiana has multiple personalities, five of them. <laughs> and, and each one of them only saw part of what happened the night of the murder. So Isaiah has to extract clues from each of the five personalities in order to in order to build a narrative of what happened that night. And um, the personalities are wildly different. Mm -hmm. um, they, are, um, they are unreliable. They misremember things, and they lie. So, so his, his work is cut out for him. I thought the opening scene, not the opening scene, but an early scene where he goes to um... – Christiana's mother's place and uh, there's all these different clothes and shoes in the living room that all that are all different I thought that was really cool um, I mispronounced Isaiah's last name I apologize um, so just as a side thing something struck me um, my grandfather was a lawyer uh, in California very early California and uh, he during the depression and he would take um, kind of barter you know fruit and stuff for uh for helping people out so i i feel a connection to uh, yeah. isaiah but um so obviously <laughs> i love the uh the multiple personalities that's uh, you know you've done uh, they say these days and i sort of tend to agree agree is that nothing is original um anymore and you just have to right. write what you write and make it different but really i think you you came up with a, a an original um protagonist and then in this book you have a really uh, original witness slash suspect. I mean, I don't remember ever reading or hearing about a book that had a, um, 
a witness slash suspect who was a, had multiple yeah. personalities. So how did um, how that idea come about? Um, <clears throat> Steve Martin said, "Comedians are always thinking comedy, and it's as you know, it's the same with writers. Right. You know, we're always looking for something that we can use in our writing." And it just happened, so happened that I saw um, Sybil, mm. uh, the Sally Field movie, and Three Faces of Eve in the same week. Oh. And it occurred to me that, you know, they'd make some interesting clients. Right. <laughs> so um, that, that was the genesis of it. So that's and that world, sure by the way, that world no. of, of multiple personalities is fascinating. Um, they imagine. actually believe that they are different people. They have different backstories. They have different, um, um, they may be a male, female, um, sexual orientations may be different. And they are so distinct that they can even have different eyeglass prescriptions. That's they, crazy. Um, yeah. They communicate with each other. Well, I spoke with a doctor who was describing, you know, their world to me. And he said, it's like, it's like a house, and each personality, they call, they're called altars, has a room of their own. And some doors are open, and some doors are closed. So there could be communication between some of the altars and, and not others. Or one altar may not know the existence of the other altars, um, or only some of them. And, and when they, they um, switch out, Sometimes it's random. They, they just they just switch out, and uh, and so, you know, Christiana, um, she could switch out with one of the other personalities, and that personality gets into a car accident, and Christiana could wake up in the hospital and not know how she got there. And the more I got into it, the more it seemed like a, you know, a, a fun thing to get into in terms of of Isaiah's clients. All right. Presents its challenges, too. So how did you decide which personality types to uh, use for the different uh, multiple personalities? I thought about the story, and, and I thought about what kinds of conflicts can I present to Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I generally think that way in terms of creating other characters. No, it's it's it, you know it's their role in the story, but it's also I want to always present characters that that provide Isaiah challenges, and so it right. was really picking different different challenges. So there's a very important character named Grace. Can you talk about her importance to Isaiah? Well, they met in um, in a previous book, Righteous. And I thought it would be fun or interesting anyway to have a relationship between two people who are shy, um, uh, socially debilitated, uh, suspicious, and um, and they're both smart. They're both interesting people. They're both complex. And I wanted to have uh, a romance that was full of angst and insecurity. <laughs> I mean, it's not every romance. I mean, it's- it's, it's it's realistic, I guess. And um, I I I start writing these things. I just write them. I mean, I'm, uh-huh. I'm writing a 
a scene in a junkyard and, and Isaiah meets her in the junkyard. And then I, she's fixing her car. And then I think, well, maybe she needs help fixing her car. And maybe she doesn't want help. And, you know, maybe she only she pays attention to Isaiah's dog. And I'm, I'm, I'm making this up as I, as I go along. And, and so her character just developed like that. I needed her in the scene. I put her in the scene. And she does what I want her to do. And she creates conflicts um that i that i want her to create and so it's it's um it's not like it's not like i had you know an, a, a bio of grace in my head uh-huh. i decide i decide what i need her for and then i develop the bio backstory off that um but she's you know she's she's a really challenging person and and they're they have moments of happiness but they're they're always uncomfortable I suppose that's real cool. Sounds a lot like a, my autobiography. Um, <laughs> so let's. I, I want to. You're 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 bringing stuff up that strikes me that I want to cut away from the book for a second. So you because you write surprisingly similar. Your process seems a little bit similar to mine, in that you mm-hmm. feel you put a character in that you need, and then for you. Do they? You said they do what you want them to do. Do they always do what you want them to do? Do they surprise you? Do they take the book in different directions sometimes, or they just fill in the need? Um, well, if I'm writing a character, you know, surprising things they could do occur to me, mm-hmm. but it's only in the process of writing. Sure. I, I see, I see an opportunity, and and I go there. So it's it's this um, semi spontaneous process. Uh, I, I, I don't outline. Um, I don't make plans. Um, I don't, you know, I have the vaguest idea of a story. And um, I have some characters that I like. And I just follow the characters wherever they would um, realistically go. And I, everything they do just serves the story. You know, I get, I get criticized. Um, the, the, most, the, the most frequent criticism I get is that you know, one book or another, um, straight away from the formula that made the books successful. Formula. Um, the problem is, yeah, you know, they, they reference one of the other books, and that's my formula. But I, I don't have a formula. <laughs> you know, right. each, each book is, is, comes out the way it is. And, um, you know, if I, if I wrote that way, it would just, you know, I'd be, I'd be spending my time you know, measuring ingredients, and right. um, and 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 I just can't do that. I mean, I don't write that way. I've never written that way. I've written all the books just like that. I start with story and characters, and off we go. Fall on the formula and watch Law and Order. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, however, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on this because I mean, like I said, I mean, you've got this really unique protagonist um, IQ. So, what was the germ for that first for the first book and so, so named IQ? I mean, how much of him did you have formulated until you thought, "Hey, I got this cool guy"? Because I know a little bit about your childhood and, and where the character came from. You can talk about the way you built him however you want, but I got this cool character, and then I'm just going to plug him in, and things happen. Or did you have a little for that first book a little greater idea of of like the passage, the passage way? I thought I thought a good. Um opening story 
would reference the Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> and um, and so I started working toward that. You know, I, I, um, I'm writing the story, I figure out the client, and then I'm thinking, how do I use the dog? And so <laughs> the bad guy, I, you know, the bad guy has the dog, and the dog becomes a character in itself. And then I can play off that. Dodson's Dodson's has a phobia about dogs. And so each of these little um, intersections create something else, create another story. Um, Yeah, it's it's fun for me that way. It's fun for me to just write and see what happens. And you can't really get there without working the muscle, can you? I mean, you got to write. You got to write the hard times and the easy times. Mm -hmm. I throw away more pages than I keep. I, I um, yeah, I can't. Uh, I uh, well, you know this. It's sometimes you just have to write it to know whether it works. And um, exactly. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I when I, I, I I'm gonna talk about myself for one second, but when I'm when I'm revi- when I'm really revising a book hard at the end, I am happier to delete words than I was to write them in the first place. But it takes a while yeah. there. It's All right, so different. this is book four. Um, mm-hmm. How has Isaiah changed from when we first met him in IQ? Um, he's he's gradually has gradually started to reach out to other people over the course of the books, mm-hmm. and that was something I had thought about from the beginning that I wanted to the characters to grow from book to book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I, I wanted them to grow emotionally in terms of other people. And that's, that's, that's the most interesting part for me. You know, the most interesting part for me is, is character and how they deal with other characters. And, and so that, that, that's what I want. I want, I wanted all the characters to grow as the books proceed. I don't actually know until I start writing what that growth will constitute. Um, But you know, in Righteous, Dotson was expecting a baby, and in Recti has a baby. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's like that. And Durana's business grows as we go through the books. Um, and that's, that keeps it fun for me. You know, I, I you know, I've, I've, I'm not young, and I've lived through a few things that I can, you know, right. I can reflect in terms of their stories. Right. You can, any real emotion you've ever had, and of course, you know, I'm probably older than you are, but you're we're of certain of age that you live long enough that you had you felt all the emotions and you can take that real emotion and stick it in, in a scene you're making up. Um, so we have a lot of listeners who are writers at various stages of their career, so they like the kind of the inside stuff. So the next mm-hmm. few questions will be about um, your journey, your writer's journey, maybe a little bit about craft. Among among the other things, you didn't. I was I pulled your bio, of course, off your website. I think it was or. Yeah, it was your website. And uh, it said you had uh, many uh, different jobs, but you did mention specifically that you were a screenwriter, which you were. And how has um, how, how has screenwriting helped your novel writing, or has it? It's, it's helped to a degree in that um, it helped me be concise because uh, the, the screen line, the, the, the scene directions are two or three lines long. Right. And it helped me in terms of dialogue because screenplays are mostly dialogue, and it um, it taught me to write visually. 
you know, to, to create a scene. And, and those things were very useful when I started IQ. The thing was, <clears throat> my, my uh, long-form prose was awful. I thought, you know, I've been making a living as a professional writer. I'm not going to have trouble writing a novel in terms of the writing itself. That was terrible. Just terrible. Um, I, I, I simply didn't, <clears throat> didn't know how to write uh, a long-form narrative. And I had to go back to the beginning and read, you know, on writing well and elements of style. Uh, and it took me it took me a year to learn to write decent prose, not <clears throat> you know, not not fancy prose, just clear, um, decent prose. And then the next two years of of writing, you know, I developed the style. A year to write decent prose is not bad, really. So, so we are on the. Uh, you mentioned a couple of years here and there. <coughs> Excuse me, I don't have a cough button. Okay. So. And I, I, I would, um, if I was talking to aspiring writers, I you would are. tell them that the biggest, the biggest obstacle between, um, on them, their book getting published, is the writing itself, separate and apart from content. You know, character, story, possible franchise that will not save you. The, the writing has to be there first. You know, I, um, I I talk to professionals, people who read books for a living, and almost across the board, they say that you know they'll read, they'll give a writer maybe 25 pages, and if mm. if they don't cut it by then, they close the book. Right. Um, you know, I, the more majority of those said 10 or 15 pages. Right. Uh, yeah, that's what I would I think. A, I had a reviewer say that if she reads, you know, two bad pages about the weather, she's out. And and so that writing is the first thing they see. You know, they right. they don't care where you're from or who you are or, or anything about you except the words on that page. And um, if you can't write at a professional level, um, you're stuck. All right. And obviously, uh, either you can take classes, you can be in writers groups, but the and you've learned the craft. The only real way to get there after that is to write. You got to write. You got to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the how long did it take you? Really, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's just one more thing: is that aspiring writers, by and large, don't criticize their own books. You know, they, if they wrote a review of somebody else's book, they could tell you exactly what's wrong with it. You know, right. pace and character and plot and all that stuff. But they don't apply that to their own books. You know, when they rewrite, they're not looking for what's wrong. They're not looking for what what doesn't work and mm-hmm. whether or not, they, you know, I can uh, write write this more clearly or, or more entertainingly. You know, those kinds of criteria that they would apply to the books they read, they don't apply to their own. And an aspiring writer should know that however hard you are on your work, an agent, an editor, a publisher will be 10 times as hard. Um, And a lot of aspiring writers just go out too early. Oh, yeah. I I think everybody does. They're just so anxious to get out there in the marketplace. Um, And they, they, you know, I've heard people say, well, I don't want anybody, you know, to steal my idea. Um, (laughs) I love that one. Nobody's going to steal your idea. Nobody wants it. 
Yeah, I mean, even if you have a, you know, even if you have a really high concept idea, you still have to execute. Right. You, know, you, you still have to write the book, and again, it's all about the writing. Yep. Um. So, how long did it take? Because you obviously you're getting into this. You have a you have a, a career uh, as a screenwriter, so you are a professional writer. So, how long did it take you to from first scratched out couple paragraphs to completion and then to publishing deal signed contract for you IQ. Know, I, I burned out on screenwriting. It wasn't like, you know, I made some big decision to leave. I mm-hmm. just couldn't do it. And, um, I moped around for months. Uh, and then I, you know, I realized I had to you know, make a living. So, um, I decided I'd write a novel it took me three years. It took me three years to um, to have a completed manuscript. Um, I had to take okay. a second out on the house, and I mean, it was it was. I learned to love writing again. You know, I don't have a producer looking over my shoulder, and uh, I told myself, write what you want to write. That was my mantra every morning. Don't worry about publishing any of that stuff. Write what you want to write, and and it took. It took three years. And then this story will piss off a lot of people. Yeah, I'm already getting ready. So I, I finish a manuscript. I don't know anybody in publishing. Nobody. Um, and I, I, uh, I'm sending the book out to readers. And um, I have a cousin named Francis Fukuyama. He is a world-renowned political scientist. Um, he's written eight books. He travels all over the world. Yeah, he's on the board at Rand, so you know he's that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I sent him the book on a whim. You know, I, he, you know, he's on the board at Rand. He's not going to want to read my little crime story, <laughs> but he's a really kind, generous guy, and he read it. And he got back to me, and he said, "You know, I, I really like this. Do you have an agent?" I said, "No, I, you know, I got to go look for one." And he said, "Let me introduce you to my agent." who turned out to be a woman named Esther Newberg, who's been mm-hmm. head of literary at ICM in New York for 30 years. <laughs> she is one of the top three literary agents in New York. And that was the first professional person to read my book. And because Frances had referred me, she read it over a weekend. Mm-hmm. Wow. And she called on the following Monday and she said, uh, I want to sell your book. Those are the first words she said to me. And then um, a few weeks later, it, it sold a little brown. And a few weeks after that, it optioned a TV. So actually, it's a story I try not to tell. Yeah, I actually but, want to – go ahead. Sorry. That, that, I mean, that's – yeah. I, I skipped all the struggling part. All right. Yeah, I wanted to rewind for I, I mentioned we have our, our writers from various uh, parts of their careers. I want to rewind for the ones that aren't published yet and just delete that from your brain. That never happened to anybody. Okay, it never happens. Yeah, but let's. No. But you honed your craft. You took three years to get before you even let anybody see the book. Um, plus, you had um, you know you're you were a professional writer. So and yet, like I said, you did come up with something unique. So and you said she read it over a weekend because your cousin gave it to her. 
she mm-hmm. read she began reading it on the weekend because you gave your cousin gave it to her, but she read it through the weekend because she loved it. That, so that does help. That's true. That I mean, true. knowing somebody and, and getting it in, getting it into the the agent's hands, is, you know, when you're not going through the slush file, obviously, then you let the, the work speak for itself. So now we just talked about how <laughs> I mean, your IQ came out with a bang, and, and I honestly can't remember in my years in the biz anybody that's really blown up that way from um, coming out with the debut. So here's maybe a stupid question. Have you felt any added pressure with each successive books because of that instant stardom? For the most part, no. Um, you know, the more you write, the better you get. Right. And, and, and that proficiency is very satisfying. And so it's a, a, a self-motivated um, process. I want to write. Well, like you, I wake up in the morning and I have to write. And so it's, for me, it's about that process. I enjoy the process. I enjoy it more than the actual finished book. Um, I love to be in that space where you just can't think about anything else but the story. I love that space. And um, so it's, it's never been really a pressure because I'm not, I'm not writing to even fulfill a contract so much as I am loving the process. And I'll tell you, if you're an aspiring writer and you don't love the process, um, it's not for you. You know, it's really not for you, because it's like saying I'm a cl- I'm, I'm going to climb to the top of, of Mount Everest, but I don't know how to climb. I don't yeah. like to climb. Um, yeah. Well, I can't say I'm as in love with the process as you are. It's a love-hate relationship. But, um, <laughs> so uh, you mentioned uh, IQ being um, optioned right away. Any progress on that? Um, so, yeah. I mean, it was, it was optioned in 2015. Right. And they are just now getting together what they call the package, the producers. Mm-hmm. That is, you have a name producer. You have um, a showrunner. In this case, it's a guy named Matt Carnahan who came from House of Lies. And a director, um, a guy named Dion Taylor, and an executive producer, um, that's sort of the face of the show, and, and Snoop signed on. So, oh, really? Yeah, they have that. They have that package, and they will uh, shop the package to the different networks. So they'll go to HBO and Apple, and, um, Showtime, and and try and sell that package. And so it needs to be a package so that the so that the network itself doesn't have to put together those elements. You're uh-huh. bringing them uh, uh, to them. And so they're going to start pitching um, last week in January. Wow. So Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, there's a pilot. There's a pilot. A pilot has been written by Matt, and it, it's great. It's really great. Um, so, it, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward, but at the same time, you know, the that TV business is really treacherous. Right. So I will focus on, on writing books. Right. And so you, I mean, this kind of instant, um, I don't know, opportunities for someone who didn't have the background you had could be, could be overwhelming and, and get their, get their hopes up too high about what could happen. But I'm sure you're like, man, I'm going to keep writing my books. Oh Yeah. 
Oh yeah. But it's, would um, you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Now, would you or <clears throat> want to be in the writers' room when it becomes a series, or no? Nah, I don't want any part of that. Oh hell no. <laughs> okay. I don't want to go to work every day. <laughs> I don't want to contend with other people. I don't have arguments about, you know, what character to cut or, you know, how to change this. I don't want to have those those conversations. And I don't want to be rewritten. I'm just, you know, incredibly spoiled now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I'm going to read scripts that are written by other people and give notes. But other mm-hmm. than that, no. I'll just stick to my day job. All right. Speaking of your day job, uh, is there another IQ book coming? I mean, this one, let me first say this one comes out on the 28th of January, just a few short days away. But anything, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you work, you're obviously working on something, probably turn something in. So um, what's next? I have, I, I've, I've turned in the first draft of the next book. Um, it's called Smoke. And um, I haven't gotten notes from my from the editor yet, so um, that's always a process. You know, going back and forth with uh, your editor. In this case, it was a guy named Josh Kendall, and he's terrific. He's just terrific. He says he's helping me, you know, write the best version of my book, mm-hmm. and um, it's been a terrific relationship. So that's smoke's right. coming in in twenty 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 one. So you, you uh, this this will probably be the uh, last question, because um, mm-hmm. you just yeah, I, you know I was looking at it. I I know that I have to come up with two word titles because my first book was a two word title my publisher liked it that way so for me it's always right. a challenge you you sometimes have one word titles and most of the others are just two I think um, how are how do you write how do the titles come do, are they always yours do you like coming up with a title or or how's that work. Um. It's a, yeah, it's a struggle to find one more time. We're going to go with that. You know, it's kind of a Elmore Hell yeah. thing. Right. So, uh, you know, we just go back and forth. You know, he'll, the editor will come up with a word. I'll come up with a word. Um, and I'll, I'll find one I like, and then the editor takes it to uh, the, the sort of management group, the publisher, marketing, you know, publicity, all of these people. And they make a, a, a joint decision and um they won't they won't they won't keep a title that i don't like um Mm -hmm. but we have to come to some sort of agreement and uh so far yeah we've been good yeah titles have worked out well books have worked out well i want to thank you for well first of all if you uh if you care where can people find you on the world wide web uh website um joeyday.com i'm on twitter i'm on facebook all that stuff Please, um, please send me a message. I'm, I'm happy to get them. Well, I can tell you that Elena, a regular listener, just um, sent me a message that says, sounds fascinating, can't wait to read them. So there you go, new reader. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for coming on. I, I, want, I want to do this for a while. I'm really happy we got a chance to do it. And uh, I know you're getting out on tour. For those of you in San Diego, in your limited tour, those of you in San Diego, Joe will be at Warwick's, but I don't think he can remember the date, and I can't either. But <laughs> look, just Warwick's knows. I'm sure Warwick's knows now. Yeah, so anyway, I uh, hope to see you at Left Coast Crime. Great talking to you. Anytime, man. Anytime. All right.
Thanks, man. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, in two weeks, on I believe that's the 31st, I'll have my buddy David Putnam on to talk about his new book, The Heartless, another two-word title. And as always, if you're a if you'd like a writer to talk to your book group club, either in person or on the phone or even via Skype, you can contact me at MacCoilBooks.com. No, at MacCoilBooks at gmail.com, my email address. Uh, and I'd be happy to talk to your group for as long as you can stand it. All right, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Have a good couple weeks. 